Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Run-In. I'm really excited about this one. We've got a fantastic interview coming up with Emily benham Crawler, who won every single individual gold at the Mountain Bike O World Championships. She's a really fascinating athlete and we're going to hear all about how she won those goals and also how how she's come back from having a baby in the last year as well as well as you know her her training philosophy and philosophy about um her sport as well so really really excited to have that one but first of all will we're going to start with our roundup of the year our review of the year if you like and we've picked some top top kind of moments from um the orienteering year we've got that we're going to go have our best course our best results or result of the year breakthrough of the year shock of the year and moment of the year as well so i think we'll start with course uh will do you want to go first on this one what was what were the ones you liked and what was your favorite yeah so uh there's a few that i was i was big fans of for several reasons things like the world cup final in china for its Mm -hmm. um pure technicality the way that the courses were set up at the chasing long at the first World Cup in Finland mm. in June, you know, the way it kind of spread runners out and brought them back together. I thought I thought the plan there was excellent. For pure kind of true orienteering at its at its highest level, <laughs> uh, the walk long test race in Norway in July as well. I thought that was fantastic. You know, only fifteen legs over the course of uh, thirteen kilometers. 100 minutes and four of those legs are in the final kilometer so that was really kind of pure orienteering but and i think that's actually won the um world of o course of the year as well it has yeah yeah so that mm. was um i think there were, t- there were two different courses there and the fact that the the men and the women did very similar courses as well so everyone got the same feel of orienteering you know these kind of four two kilometer legs across the space of a course it was really kind of true orienteering mm. but my uh, my course of the year is the Oceania Long Distance Championships. It was uh, kind of an hour and 40, hour and 50 out in real wilderness terrain in Australia. It's hot. There was no water out at the drinks points. It was incredibly technical, you know, really dark, tough forest, um, hilly. And you had to be really fit, but also technically absolutely spot on. Um, and I really came unstuck at it as well and just <laughs> loved every second. It was It was fantastic. And... The kind of course where you finished and you felt like you'd been beaten up mentally and physically. Yeah. Oh, that sounds proper fantastic. It was, my, yeah. um, in my uh, ones highly commended, ones I was thinking about, also included the knockout sprint in Switzerland, which was kind of the first one that showed that the knockout sprint worked. It worked as a format. There was opportunities to take risks at the end. Uh, I also want to shout out to the jock chasing sprint that we were televising earlier because it was very meticulously planned to have three very different sections and the races panned out pretty much as the planner wanted and that was fantastic to be able to commentate on but also just very very satisfying to see yeah this course has been planned with this in mind and this is exactly what we thought would happen also love the november classic this year down in the forest 
beautiful beautiful forest to run through you really have to be accurate with your compass i just fantastic feeling flying through those woods but my favorite a bit of a niche one is the stockholm indoor cup and the second day of this this is where it happens about every february in, in stockholm there's two days across the weekend in two normally two different school buildings and the second day was in a school that only had two floors only two stories but they'd actually cut corridors in half and put like red and white tape down a corridor so you could only go down one half the corridor and this so you you could almost see a control the other side of the corridor but you couldn't get there because there was this tape in the way and you had to go all the way up and down and round the school to be able to get to that other place it was oh, right. <laughs> absolutely one of the most difficult things i do honestly it stood at the control number one and i was honestly there for about five minutes before i could find that and, and still i had to like end up following someone to number two because i had no idea what to do it was the imagination actually required to turn that school building into the puzzle that it was i thought was fantastic and that's why it's won my course of the year i think i remember speaking to uh to johan who we had on last week about that at eucala in in june mm. he said it took him about an hour to get around what was mm. effectively one kilometers of orienteering and he just yeah. couldn't make sense of any of it at all just brain did not work in the way that they'd, uh, they'd set it up so it's clearly incredibly challenging yeah, I'd, I'd really recommend indoor orienteering if you could do it. There's a few events happening in the UK. Um, I think one down in Kent next year. Um, so mm. I think, yeah, I think Ebor did quite a few in York as well. Yes, they do. I've done one in York. That was fantastic. Right, should we move on to results? Yes, yes. So result of the year, I think it'd be very remiss of me not to mention <laughs> the you know, fantastic World Cup and Jaywalk results that we've had across the year. You know, Ralph Street and Chris Jones both on the podium at the knockout sprint in Switzerland. Um, you've got the Jaywalk relay results for the for the women and the Jaywalk results in general for, for Grace Malloy and Fiona Bum. But um, my result of the year, purely from, from a selfish personal point of view, was uh, seeing Aston Key win the gold medal at Jaywalk in the sprint distance. Mm-hmm. It's the first Jaywalk gold for Australia since Hanny Alston back in the early 2000s. They've come close a couple of times, but I'd see someone who is only a second year 20, they've still got another year to go, winning in such commanding fashion and then fighting for... And someone you know very well. Yeah, someone I know very well, live with, and and just, uh, yeah, seeing it actually all just come to fruition and being able to do it on the biggest stage in the right moment. And the fact he's competed in the senior races as well this year and not been afraid to go there and, and get results as well. It's it's fantastic. And for me, that was just, yeah, just a great moment. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much had the same same results on my shortlist as well. But a lot of the British team at the, at the in Switzerland at the third round of the World Cup with the knockout and the sprint. But for me, I mean, it has to be the, the girls relay team at the Junior World Championships. It absolutely fantastic result from the three of them combined and it takes three fantastic runs to be able to get that gold medal get a medal even but getting that gold medal and each of them stepped up they had a lot of pressure on them Mm. and they just managed to pull it off which it's beyond words how impressive that is and how fantastic and how inspiring that is. And please, please, if you haven't listened to our interview with um, the three girls who, who won that relay, Megan Keith, Fiona Bunn and Grace Malloy, then please, please do go give it a listen because their insight into that race is just fantastic. 
definitely. It it gives you real insight into every element of their leg and, and what they had to go through and what uh, they coped with. And it's just, you know, it's fantastic. And I think they're going to be performing that well next year as well, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, that interview just makes um, makes it even more impressive, I think. Let's turn now to Breakthrough. And in fact, a couple of the girls from the, the Jaywalk Relay winning team are you, any of them, you could say, as a Breakthrough athlete. They've they've all achieved fantastically at the Junior World Championships. Also want to put a little word out for Megan Carter-Davis winning all of the uh, British daytime titles this year. And then internationally, you could talk about the likes of some of the youngsters just, just starting to make an impact. Casper uh, Fosser, uh, Simona Abersold, and Teresa Anasikova. But uh, the one I want to mention as a breakthrough this year is the Swiss Joey Hadorn, who uh, won middle distance at the um, Swiss World Cup. I um, mean, he's been kind of knocking around a bit, but uh, but there's never a shoe, uh, you know a shoe in for the World Championships team. He managed to take that win there a brilliant brilliant run we can you know he's very fast and backed it up in the next couple of days with good results in the in the next couple of races as well so he really really is going to be a name to watch let's see if he can do that well outside of his home country yeah i think i guess he won three gold medals at uh, individual medals at jaywalk in switzerland 2016 and the year after he kind of had a bit of a down year and He's obviously done very well in senior competitions, but never taken the gold medal. So for him to, mm. you know, stamp his authority on the Swiss team and yeah, look look forward to next year and see what he does in the sprint discipline, which I would probably say, in terms of um, performances, possibly a stronger discipline as well. So I imagine yeah, mm, he's definitely yeah. going to be one to watch next year. Absolutely. I, I would say other breakthroughs you could look at would be people like uh, Maxim Rituria. Uh, French chap mm-hmm. who came uh, second at World Cup in China. Yannick Mikel is getting back onto the podium at World Cup sprints again, coming first at um, the World Cup sprint in China as well. You know, not really a breakthrough, but a couple of years of not getting the results he was looking for and and then kind of stepping back up onto the podium again. My major breakthrough, though, would probably have to be going back to that jaywalk relay, be uh, Grace Malloy. I finished school, took some time out, went to Australia, did the coaching scholarship down there, came back and you know, was in incredible shape and stepped up and took three medals at Jaywalk this year. You know, she's still got a year left in the junior ranks and she's been performing you know, and beating a lot of established seniors in the UK as well this year. So I think you know, she really kind of put herself front and foremost in people's minds about junior orienteers in the world. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see what she uh, what she does next year. And um, I'd say Megan Keefe as well, really possibly not having the results she was looking for at the selection races at the JK in the spring season and then at Jaywalk kind of just smashing out of the park on that on that relay first leg it was amazing yeah she seems to be a real championship performer I think um, so let's go on to the shock moments and my, 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 I started off thinking about shock as thinking about results from China, which we're not going to go into again. That's not my actual answer, but started thinking from there. And then actually thinking one of the real shocks for this year is actually Tova making a mistake on the last World Cup race. She was in position to win every single World Cup, individual World Cup race that year, this mm. year. And, um, you know, just had one left to go. It's never been done done before. Even Simone Nigli, even Thierry Georgiou, none of them managed to do it. But Tova had done all of them so far. She was on to the last one and she, she made a mistake. She wasn't just beaten by 
the Chinese athlete who ended up winning, she made mistakes and she lost that one. I think it would have been really interesting to see a mistake-free run from Tove Alexanderson, see what would have happened there. But, you know, to me, she lost herself that another victory and she's been so solid all year. That's a big surprise. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing that she kind of... Because she came back from so many moments throughout the year. Uh, walk mm. and and kind of had that dramatic finish at the middle distance of the of the world championships um yes. if in a few seconds but um, ahead of Simona Abasold yeah yeah exactly and she, she kind of kept on coming back and kept on coming back and always seemed like she was a bit unbeatable this year and then just suddenly mm. yeah just that final one just two more minutes of the season left and done over yeah. and uh yeah, yeah that yeah. was amazing yeah yeah and a little shout out to another potential shock of Norway not winning the men's relay they were Big, big favourites for that relay. Uh, yes. Prime time, Forgotten Saturday that. night, TV in Norway, home soil. And it didn't happen. What's yeah. your shock of the moment, though, Will? Shock so, of the year. Shock of the year. Um, I, so, so commendable uh, efforts, I think. Casper Fosser in the... Um, Mm-hmm. In the walk long distance, that was that was amazing. You know, you're always told when you're young, oh, you, you've got to wait to step up to long distances. You know, it's an older <laughs> elites game. You've got to build the endurance. You've got to get yeah, used yeah, to yeah. the racing, and just comes in first world champs home terrain as a first year senior. <laughs> it's amazing. It I, I was just shocked. It was fantastic, mm. um, and just put it to all of the established Norwegian elites as well, and was beating Olaf yeah, for most of the course. It was fantastic. Yeah. And the fact that from that he's getting kind of selected for cross countries uh, for Norway as well at the moment is really exciting um, to see what he's going to yeah. do with the next he's couple of years. He's actually got a stress fracture in his foot though. He wasn't able to take up that mantle of going to um, Portugal and running for the European cross country championships. Oh. He's got he's got his foot in a boot, I'm afraid. So um, hopefully that'll all have well, hopefully healed that up by the time next, next year comes around. European championships, which yeah. are a forest one, but um, yeah, he was selected for uh, for Norway, of course, alongside. Um, the Inga Britsons to go to go run for the European cross country championships. Yeah, so very. So hopefully he recovers from that injury pretty quickly because mm. stress fractures can be pretty tricky things. Um, but then I, I would say my so other shocks would include a track runner winning the British Sprint Championships. You know, he doesn't orient, guy who doesn't orienteer too much, Chris Jones. So he was that was quite a shock <laughs> that, he, that he, he was there. Sorry, sorry, Chris. Oh, I mean. <laughs> that was a bit mean. Apologies. No, yeah, so um, uh, no, that's good. It, it was very nice for Chris to come back and win it. Um, but uh, I, I think Grace my... us with his presence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. Um, I the one of the most shocking things for me um, was from China, and I'm, I'm going to completely ignore all of anything negative that anyone said about it. But it was the fact that Maxim Rituria came second in that final sprint on the Sunday of the World Cup round there, individual sprint. And the main fact is that I was speaking to his brother afterwards at the um, at the banquet, and he said that the year before, during the winter, he was speaking to him and was effectively telling him that he need to stop. He's not getting the results he wanted from orienteering, mm-hmm. and he was asking him, you know, "Maxine, what are you doing? You're not happy. You're not doing well. You're putting so much time and effort and money into this that you know, is there much point? Are you sure you want to carry on? You're deadly sure." And the coaches are asking him the same. You know, he's not getting picked for stuff, and then he gets his shot. And he takes it, and he and he gets a silver medal, and that was it was amazing to see that, and it's fantastic. And hopefully now he's proved all the people in the French team wrong, and he's going to get a shot at Walk next year. And it's really exciting to see what he's uh, what he's going to do. But that was yeah, yeah. amazing that one. The fact that his brother didn't yeah. even <laughs> was asking him if he wanted to carry on <laughs> with the sport uh, a couple of months beforehand. 
Yeah, it should give him a load of confidence, though, to be honest. And and that, a lot of the time, is kind of what's required. And people, you know, people we've been chatting to in all the episodes of The Running so far, asking, you know, how how they get get their confidence how what they base their confidence on and that is a fantastic performance that that Maxime Rotorier can base his confidence on mm. yeah and if you're not confident after that I don't know what he can do <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh, nothing better than uh, a medal at the World Cup um, so moments I'm going to start with my moments my moment of the year and I was trying to think about something that really impressed me or left a lasting impression and it wasn't a performance really it was the rain at the wok relay the world championships relay i'd been there for a few hours before the race was started and it it basically hammered it down all day the entire it was it was chucking it down i mean you could barely go outside i was dashing from the commentary box to the media tent and back again trying not to get my feet wet and it just provided just the most surreal scene for the last race of the world championships. You had both starts of the relays, the runners just kind of kicking up so much water as they ran out of the Mm. start. And it just felt just really odd. And to kind of set up what was to become drama in the relay Norway not winning it Sweden getting both the relay medals and you know mistakes all round people catching up people uh, making mistakes people overtaking and a really good battle between uh, Switzerland and Sweden on the women's relay that went um, you know throughout all of the legs so many times I think I've seen relays that are boring because one team is too dominant (laughs) but it's true they just run away from everybody else and you're like going oh well yeah and all you see on the pictures is you know the Norwegian team still leading and the the Swedish women's team still leading and it's just it's just boring so this was a fantastic relay so the whole thing the rain the fantastic relay drama that we had um, you know from a from a kind of non-partisan perspective that I have to take when I'm commentating uh, it was fantastic that was my moment yeah I think the fact that you saw um, a couple of the Czech male runners with headlamps on as well mm-hmm. gave me the impression of just how yeah. foul no, we that were, weather we was we were talking about it all day are they going to need head torches I was thinking you know it's okay in the arena but once you go in the woods as, as I'm sure many of many of you know that it becomes a very different thing and you just need to be able to see to read the map properly yeah, yeah it was I, it was pretty horrible conditions one for the ages, I think. There, um, mm-hmm. oh God, I'm glad I wasn't running in, in that one. That was that was that was a watch on TV race, not a do race. I think. Um, yeah. Although, I obviously, wish I was doing it for any selectors listening. Um, so, so my, I, my, I've kind of divided mine into into two. It's kind of personal moments for me racing this year, and and my moment of watching other people. So, I'll, I'll deal with the indulgent personal one first, and that was the fact that. At, Tia Mila and Eucla this year, I got to race at the front and off the front with my mates. So at TO being with Pete Hodkinson, Johnny Crickmore, Aston Key, you know, just at the front of the pack, me and Johnny chatting about which way we were going to go. And Johnny went off on his own and, and abandoned me and me to lead the pack solo. <laughs> and I had Yannick behind me just shouting which, what code everyone's got. And, and then at Eucla, Sasha, uh, Chaplin and me being kind of clear of everybody else with just one other guy with three controls to go looking at each other and going this is a bit dodgy I don't think we should be in this position 
and uh, and just trying to be super safe and not mess it up at the end and the kind of slight panic but adrenaline rush that we had at the same time was the oh, fact it was a dream moment just, oh, it, it was amazing it's something that I'll always you know always kind of remember that that excitement level of uh, coming into the arena knowing you've finished your job but at the same time you've done it with all your mates around you and that you've all made it through kind of thing was uh, they're both you know, fantastic things that I'll hopefully get to experience them again but uh for watching other people i would say the moment has to be and it's been well publicized now the moment that ralph street uh dived around <laughs> at um the knockout sprint at uh semi-final at the world cup in switzerland to take his own route choice and outfox all the swiss runners and make it through to the final with chris in second place as well that was just fanta- a fantastic moment of him just having the guts to to do it solo and take it on and uh and yeah kind of what orienteering should be in a head-to-head element and it was just so exciting it was just pure you know emotional excitement it was fantastic oh it really was and I was sat in the commentary box I, I, one of the things I love about commentary is I feel like I'm the first to see stuff and I'm the first to have to relate it to everybody else the thing is I was trying not to get too excited because Jonas Mertz who I um, commentate with he's always telling me off for like getting too too into how the Brits are doing which is normally like you know <laughs> oh someone's 20th or whatever um, and I was like trying not to get too excited he was like no you can get excited about this this is actually a, a really really good result and I was like then, then I could kind of let loose a bit more and and just seeing um Ralph and Chris through in that in that same semi-final Arthur it was I was all of a buzz I was all a buzz in the commentary box it was amazing and you should go actually the um the footage from that race is now free to watch on orienteering.sports you can find a link to it if you go via on the red lines twitter uh, as unsurprisingly they've they've put it up if you didn't know on the red lines run by ralph's parents so uh you know <laughs> they 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 like to cover all of the um all of the uh gb elite achievements but um they do they're, they're very fair they, they are they are actually but you can understand why they've put that one up as well so yeah, yeah. fantastic moment just a, a slight side note the uh, the moment of watching Grace drop the Russian at the end of the Jaywalk Relay was pretty good as well sitting working from home praying that I wasn't going to get a conference call from somebody and watching that was, uh, was fantastic well let's hope there are lots more moments fantastic moments uh, in the next year in 2020 those those were our top course result breakthrough shocker moments let us know what you thought if you want to on um, Twitter or Facebook we are at the running pod on both of those but uh, let's move on to our main interview um, with uh, Emily Benham Kavala. Thanks, Emily, for joining. So you, of course, huge play in the mountain bike orienteering scene, and most of our listeners are foot orienteers. Mountain bike orienteering is obviously orienteering on a mountain bike, but how else does it differ from footo? Um, the the main way that it differs i suppose is that we're predominantly staying to the, the tracks and the paths so for us a really good mcbo train is one that's very um track and path rich um the junctions will be very very dense so maybe we'll be coming up to a junction every 5 10 15 seconds mm-hmm. um and in the majority of countries we go to we're actually not even allowed to leave the track network at all so that means we're not allowed to enter the woods we're not allowed to ride the bike through the terrain or um get off and run with it or even yeah push the bike through the forest so i suppose that's the the primary difference but actually mtbo probably doesn't differ all that much from sprint orienteering i guess like the 
the the nature of the, the decisions you're having to make left right left right looking at those those root choices is around going to be better than wiggling through I think that's maybe a bit more similar yeah I, I'd agree from my experience of it too and um and the map's a little bit different as well mm. yes we um we greatly simplify the maps so we don't need to have all the detail in the forest but what we need to know is how fast it is to ride a certain trail is that you know we gonna is that gonna be um a track or is it gonna be a path and how fast is it to ride yeah so you started off kind of foot orienteering as a junior and everything like that growing up with the sport but how did you first find mtbo um i'd kind of there's a, an event that you i don't know if it still runs or not called the around older shots and it happens sort of just before christmas every year and for a couple of years, my dad used to take me along um, and it was all done on foot orienteering maps, but you could do it on a bike. And I kind of quite enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one winter, I just did way too much running training and I actually started biking, mountain biking. I found mm-hmm. it was a really good way to get in a lot of longer distance work. I could go out for three hours around the forest and and have a really nice time and explore a bit more than what I could do running. And And then that spring I just was like, hey, do you know what? I'm going to try MTBO. This looks like really good fun. And I hopped on a train at five in the morning. And yeah, I had, I had a great time. It was really, really good. And uh, after that, I was hooked. Yeah. And then from there, how did you kind of progress to going to, to world championships? Was that quite a quick progression for you? Uh, yeah, it was It was a really quick progression. I mean, the sport's tiny. So yeah. <laughs> so when, when, you're, when you're a Brit, pretty much... If, if you show enthusiasm to go and you can reach a, a certain level, then, you know, no one's really going to say no to you. And especially if you enjoy the sport as well, I, I think that's that's the biggest thing. You know, we, we want to have people with us that are really enthusiastic about it. And um, so I went to that first race that was back in 2007. Mm-hmm. And after that, I had such a good time. I thought, actually, I'm going to do one more and then I'll email the selectors and say that I was interested and because I was still a junior as well they were super keen that I came along and so I went out to the it wasn't even it was the European Championships but it wasn't even a race for juniors they just had sort of like a, an open junior class mm-hmm. um, but it was you know fairly fairly popular um, and yeah I, I came second on that that very first race and uh, I was like wow this is this is really good <laughs> the rest of the week wasn't so good <laughs> I had a bit more a bit more problem but uh yeah, that first race, I really thought, actually, no, this is something I can do. This is something I really enjoy and I really feel passionate about. Are you um, usual in, like, MTBO community in coming originally from foot orienteering? Yeah, it's it's very typical. I think most of the, the top athletes in MTBO have actually come from foot orienteering themselves. Uh-huh. A lot of them have been quite successful as well. I think quite a few people have represented their countries at uh, Junior World Championships and things in Futo before they found MTBO. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a typical pathway into the sport. Yeah, so a great option for many of the juniors, hopefully, who are listening. So I want to talk, of course, about um, this year's World Championships, which are the, at the end of July. And um, you've obviously, in the build-ups that, you, uh, you were on maternity leave last year. You had Jenny around Christmas time with the aim, I think, of to get back for the World Championships. So what were, given kind of your build-up, you tell us a little bit about your build-up, and then what were your expectations going into those championships? So my expectations changed all the time, week <laughs> in, week out. Um, when I became pregnant, I knew that I wanted to be able to come back into MTBO in 2019 and to mm. be successful um, but what successful was I didn't know um, mm. 
if we'd been awake all night and you know we'd had you know difficulties with Yeni and things it it might very well have been successful just coming in the top 10 but um after she was born I had five weeks where I wasn't focusing on on training at all I was just sort of going out for a little run every now and again or for a ski trip just doing what I wanted and then after that I sort of tried to build up week on week and taking making sure that I listened to my body the whole time so if I felt tired if I felt exhausted if I wanted to cry I'd question that and say do I really need to do this session today and usually the answer was no um and that was quite nice you know I felt I could come from a place in my training work that was much much more relaxed than it has been mm-hmm. before and then so by the time I got to April I hadn't done a huge amount of training but I was actually quite fit because mm-hmm. um, what I've been doing is I've been getting in those key sessions every week and so sort of by the end of April I was starting to reevaluate what my goals were and I was starting to think okay maybe I can go to the world championships and fight for a medal um that would be really great and as I got closer and closer and closer I thought actually do you know what this is going quite well I'm getting quite far <laughs> back to where I'm physically back to where I was before but mentally I'm even stronger and so I was going into the world championships thinking actually I can fight for the gold here every day mm. if I want to and um yeah that was it was really nice to be able to have that be in that position where no one else knew what my form was no one else knew really how I was going to get on but you know I knew I was good so I was um yeah, quite optimistic going into the week that I could achieve what I'd wanted to do, you know, 18 months before. Yeah, so you say you were mentally even stronger. Why do you think that was? Um, it's hard to, to pinpoint it down exactly, but I think having Yeni, she's the, the whole focus of my life at the moment, and I want the best for her. And for me now, training has become, it's still so important. You know, if I don't do my training session in a day, I get really like antsy and I (laughs) have to go training. But it it doesn't matter anymore if it goes badly. It doesn't matter anymore if Yeli's sick and I think, actually, I can't go out training, so I have to be with her. And somehow I feel more relaxed in my head. Mm -hmm. So when I'm going to do MTBO, it's a thing I really want to do. You know, I'm so excited (laughs) to be out there, to be racing and to be independent and doing that alone. And I can just switch off, put the baby in a little box in my mind and focus on the, on the MTBO and I think having her has really allowed me to be 100% focused on MTBO mm. when I'm doing MTBO yeah the mental side of the sport is it is really challenging and especially when you win a medal as well you know most people think oh you know great you've had an amazing result you know you can go home happy but you have so many emotions around winning a medal you have like a great performance you have the result you get the medal itself and you know, you literally spend like the rest of the day being like sky high with your emotions. And the next day you wake up and like, oh my God, I'm so nice. <laughs> and, you know, most people don't don't appreciate that. And it's, um, yeah, definitely an experience thing to be able to be successful on consecutive days. I think you need to have that experience of winning or doing well before. And then you can, yeah, you know, to keep your emotions under control when you when you win. And it makes it a bit easier then to do better the, the next day as well. And even when you don't win, if you've if you've messed the whole thing up again, yeah. it's 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 such a challenge to. Yeah, you need to be able to just sit that behind the box, walk away, and just go yeah. Right today, so yeah, and so much easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. and uh, then allows you to switch off when you're not doing it, I suppose, as well. 
Yeah, it was, it's amazing. I can cross the finish line and it's like, okay, race over, done. <laughs> Where's <laughs> my baby? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I can, you know, spend the whole evening just playing with her, chatting to Hans Jorg, you know, having family time. And I don't need to switch back on for into race mode until the next day. And I think that's been quite a really, that's been a really important difference this year. Yeah, but you obviously, you were able to uh, switch into race mode, winning all the individual titles at the World Championships. And I think every single individual start you've had this year you've taken the win i won all the world cup yeah. races yeah. i started but yeah. there are a few other smaller ones that i did not win yeah um so which which in terms of world championships which gold are you the most proud of and why i knew you were gonna ask that question <laughs> <laughs> um i kind of have to give you the really boring answer that's to say all of them um, <laughs> because each one was so unique and individual and not only that but each of those four races was far better than any performance I've ever had before in MTBO mm-hmm. so there were four races that were pretty much perfect races and, and so that was you know that makes it really hard to choose one of them and and if I look at the sprint race that was the very first race it was the the one I felt the most nervous for um, and I knew three quarters of the way around I was like this is a gold medal race just okay read the map <laughs> what's your next junction yeah. where are you going and so I, I had that feeling when I was out of it that it was going really really well and I crossed the line and I had like a two or three minute lead over the next person and it's like okay I'm fairly sure that's the gold medal but you know you still have to wait for the next 15 starters to finish and so that was a really big one and then the next day the middle distance I didn't have a middle distance gold before this year so that was mm-hmm. something else and then yeah, the long as well, then taking up to seven and then the mass start going on to eight goals. It was just like, oh, this is amazing. You know, like, it was just completely surreal all week. Mm. Do you have a favourite discipline though? I suppose most people would probably actually say that I'm the strongest at the long distance, but I think my favourite is probably the, um, anything that has a lot of junctions and a lot yeah. of decisions to make. So the more intensive the orienteering, I think that those would be my my favorite races but they can be in mtbo they can be in any discipline so this year we had um, a really really technical middle distance which is quite unusual for mtbo mm-hmm. um other years we have a super technical sprint and a few years ago we had a really technical long distance so it, it, for me it's more about how the um the orienteering style for each individual race rather than any any particular discipline mm-hmm. that makes sense and then so also at the world championships you know the success for you but also success for the british team all round it's great to have claire dallimore winning bronze in the sprint joanne pickering making her gb debut and um fifth place in the relay as well how fantastic is it to just to have those um women around you and also doing well in their mtbo oh it was absolutely brilliant you know claire's bronze in the sprint was just mm. icing on the cake for a <laughs> fantastic day for me you know um I kind of thought she might win uh, her first medal um, last summer, but unfortunately, I think she got fourth. She just missed out on bronze. Mm. Um, and so it was just absolutely fantastic that she she got it and it was a really secure bronze medal. It wasn't close to fourth. It was, you know, that, that was guaranteed hers. And, and that was just, just brilliant. I was really happy for her. And and then Joe as well in the relay. Um, yeah, she had the race of her life in that relay. It was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and it, it, it meant that Claire and I were going out in a, much much better position than we had even expected to be going out and it was kind of you know game on when we saw joe cross the line in a good position herself yeah. and it was like oh come on let's go <laughs> so, yeah. 
Well, so it's totally different to two years ago when I was commentating on it and you guys were joking that I was going to have to like join being the third rider in the team. So the fact that you've actually got three women competing there to make a team is is great. Yeah, it really is. It was we have a relay team on and off. It's not every mm-hmm. year, you know, maybe every other year, every third year or something. But yeah, it was it really came together this year and to top it off with a fifth place. It was just yeah, fantastic. That's brilliant. It's quite a packed schedule if, if if you compare it to foot orienteering. Like it's quite a packed schedule in terms of the races that you've got going on in that week of the World Championships. How do you deal with that? Um, I think this year was actually the year I dealt with it the best. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I've always felt like the, the World Championships week, it sort of tends to run away a little bit. Um, and you can quite often feel like I just need an extra hour. I just need to be able to catch up. You know, you you feel like you're never quite in the right place at the right time. You're always late to things. You're always slightly <laughs> late getting to quarantine or, you know, you always spend a little bit too long doing something. And whereas this year was the first year that I actually felt I had enough time to do everything. I had enough time in the evenings to be able to clean my bike and to hang out and chill and look at the maps the next day. And the same thing in the mornings as well. You know, I had enough time to do everything. And yeah, I actually felt this time like I could really enjoy the week rather than feeling like I was just sort of being dragged along at the pace that it usually goes at. (laughs) Is that experience? Is that having, you know, great people around you, the whole mixture of things? I think predominantly it was just that I could switch off after the races Mm. and it it didn't matter. Um, I didn't need to stress over doing an evening recovery ride. If if we got back late from the race, it was okay, fine. Let's, you know, not worry about doing that. There's no point stressing over it. And, Mm. um, and, you know, I had um, Hans Jürgen's parents were with us staying in their camper van. They were at the same place where we were staying. And, you know, so we could just give them the baby in the morning and go off to quarantine. We didn't, need to, we didn't really need to sort of worry about her because we knew that she would be fine. You know, grandparents are happy and, and it was fantastic <laughs> having them with us as well. They were such a big help all week. It's so exciting to hear all about, yeah, all about world championships and stuff and that, like, that you felt you had good races as well as just it being good results. Because I think when we were going up to someone and saying oh how was your race it's all about the feeling that you get rather than necessarily the 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 position that you get because sometimes you can be you know 20th but you felt like you've had a good run and you you know feeling really good or in some days that you've had a terrible run and you're finishing in the same position so yeah yeah, yeah. so I always I always try to sort of have a quick think about my my race when I finish and think actually was that did that feel good or bad and and usually mm-hmm. that first impression I get is the one that that carries forward even before I look at the results. That's fantastic. And I think I've seen some pictures of um, uh, Yenny in a little kind of like caravan. I mean, I say caravan. It's not like the, the what you think of when you go, I don't know, on holiday biking or something like really cool, dragging her along the back of your bike. Oh, your, bike uh, trailer. Your, your bike trailer thing. Yeah, I, don't, I want to know where I was going with that sentence. Um, bike trailer. So does she come on um, some training rides with you? Oh, yeah. Maybe in the summer she was coming out with me two, twice a week, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, I don't always want to be training in the evening when Hans Jorgen's home from work. Sometimes it's nice in the morning or not in the afternoon. And so, yeah, I was taking her out a few times. She's quite heavy, though. <laughs> well, it's only going to get it's only going to get worse. Um, of course, as she grows, she's only going to get heavier. So how how do you train both like physically and kind of technically for the MTBO? What kind of stuff do you do? So the physical training, I think, probably mirrors, you know, it's quite a 
traditional way of training, doing some intervals, longer intervals, harder intervals, sprints, then doing longer, easier rides um, and balancing that with sort of actual bike skills. So learning to ride down rock gardens and do jumps and things like that. But my technical training, I think maybe it differs a little bit from what people are used to in foot orienteering. Mm. I live in Norway and there are actually quite a few areas that have potential for MTBO, mm-hmm. but they're not that good for training. They're the kind of area that you would get a really good race out of, but not necessarily doing foot training mm-hmm. for MTBO. And we've got one fantastic area, or sorry, three fantastic areas that we, we use, but we've used them so much that we I know them too well now. Yeah. And they're very, very... Um, track network there is incredibly dense on each of these three trains and when we go there we do a lot of intervals so it might be sort of four intervals maybe between seven and 20 minutes in length mm-hmm. and we're going there and we're working on overspeed training we're working on putting me under pressure and stress and teaching me how to focus when I've got hands organ like riding in circles around me or <laughs> and things like that so when we go to these areas we're always trying to race as hard as we can for Mm. for that interval and that is something that I find actually helps me quite a lot it's you always feel you're on that actual knife edge of between control and being out of control and it makes it really you have to be really on the ball the whole time even more than what you would be in a race Um, yeah but the these terrains we can only use them once maybe twice a year because Mm -hmm. otherwise I you know you get a bit bored if you go to the same one too many times and we've yeah. been using them now for six or seven years as well. So we really do know them quite well. Um, so I usually just do the technical training in the run-up to a, a World Cup, maybe two or three weeks before we might just do one session. Mm-hmm. And that's usually enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually enough for me just to sort of sharpen up and to make some mistakes and to feel frustrated and then to be able to go to the race and want to do better than I did in the training session. Um yeah, so this year I actually started doing a, a training session again that I had done quite extensively in 2014 and 2015. And it's a ski orienteering session where you have um, eight cones in a car park and they're made into two like overlapping squares. Mm-hmm. And each cone represents a decision point. So each cone you can either go right, straight, head or left. Mm-hmm. Um, and then each one then like sort of brings you back to like the next next decision point. And that is fantastic for MTBO training. It's brilliant for ski orienteering training. And I guess it would work for foot, foot orienteering, for sprint orienteering um, in towns and cities and things. But this year, what I did with it was I was using um, old competition maps from the world for the, for the world championships mm. um, and just planning just two courses on, on each one. And that would take me 15 minutes per course. And it gave me a really good... Um, feeling for the terrain I could feel what the orienteering style was like you know how the junctions link together and how the route choices would physically feel to be doing them um so I suppose it's maybe a yeah I I found I found it really useful this year and and like I said in the past I've done it really extensively and I've done it too much and it's lost the effect but for me this year just doing three or four sessions of that for each um terrain we were going to for the championships it it really worked well 
Yeah, that sounds like you're making the most out of each training session that you're going to, each technical training session that you're going to, because you don't do them as frequently and then you're, you're going to get like the maximum out of it, hopefully. That's essentially the goal, but also living in Norway, there are no MTBO races. Um, mm. If I want to go to races, I have to travel to Denmark, I have to go to Sweden. And then you're talking about time, you're talking about extra cost and, and you know, it's just not possible. Um and it, for me as well, it takes enjoyment out of the sport. If mm. I'm constantly traveling, if I'm constantly spending money to do the sport, um, and I've definitely found it's better for me to do fewer races. It's you know almost like the bare minimum races, yeah. and then just supplement those with the odd training session every two or three weeks, perhaps. Um, because yeah. then that way I'm going into the big races, but I'm not full of confidence. I feel like the underdog. I feel like I haven't done enough. Mm-hmm. And then it allows me to really focus when I actually get to the races. Yeah, you feels like you've got a point to prove. But you've also been doing some uh, mountain bike races as well. Yes. Yeah, I just start. I started doing them three years ago. Now that I just yeah, you have to work really really hard for the two hours that you're racing, and yeah, it's it's as unrelenting as as it is to do MTBO. In but, but you know we have time trial starts in our sport, yeah. so you you have to go maximum speed from start to finish really and for me it's the same in the cross-country races I do really really enjoy them but it's and yeah you know there's more races in Norway it's easier to access Mm. I can do quite a lot of them within one hour of driving whereas to do MTBO you know I have to travel six seven hours each time to do it so Mm. but has that taught you to kind of race more or or improved your bike skills something like that it definitely improved my bike skills I had to be able to be racing as hard as I could almost in that place where you can't really see properly and your balance goes a bit and and then to try to do technical features um, <laughs> it's, it's not a nice feeling for me it's not something I particularly enjoy but you know I have to push myself to do that and so yeah it did it has definitely really really taught me to be racing hard and and also as well just giving me a chance to be racing mm. but without any pressure does that maybe give you an edge when I was looking at the the World Cup final and how, I mean, you ended up winning, I think, the long distance by only a few seconds and the, the two of you were like one, two at the top and then a big gap between the rest. Do so you think that gives you that extra, like, you know, grit? You were so neck and neck throughout the whole thing and looking at the GPS and then um, just managed to, like, sneak away at the end. To be honest, I actually think in that race it was more my orienteering um mm-hmm. at the end of the course yeah um because actually nadia is actually a faster cyclist than what i am so in a terrain like germany which was relatively easy orienteering you know there, there was nothing challenging about it. it was just you know taking a junction every few minutes um she had a substantially better race than what i did that day mm. but over a two-hour race my orienteering is much more stable than most people yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm much more consistent I can find the controls constantly and without really making big mistakes whereas um, you know I, I think that Nadia was probably a more deserving winner in that race I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I lost too much time in a few places um, yeah by not taking the best route choices and she did she yeah. did take the best route choices it was just I was just a bit better at the end when it was starting to get you know a bit long and you had that big massive climb up at the, yeah. up at the end so yeah yeah but that's experience I think more than anything yeah I guess so so um I want to talk a little bit about um 
the fact that I mean to me it seems you were pretty kind of public on social media about changes to your body during pregnancy like what your experiences were and and how much research you'd done um as to how you should be training and and what's what to maybe do what maybe not to do um why did you did you decide to do this and and be very public about this so the primary reason was just that there's actually very little information out there Mm. and pretty much all everything that you would find on the internet is blogs from maybe normal women who maybe aren't particularly sporty or or interested in training or exercise and and you know and the things that they were writing they just didn't really apply I wanted to know things you know can I go out for a long bike ride? Can I go out and ride my bike for three or four hours while I'm pregnant? Mm. You know, what kind of changes do I need to make to my training in order to be able to accommodate a baby? And <clears throat> there just wasn't that information there. And even in terms of scientific research as well, there's a huge ethical thing around doing studies <laughs> on pregnant women. Mm. Um, and not only that, doing studies on pregnant women that are athletes, such a small amount of the population, mm-hmm. that, you know, the studies just aren't really there. And Unfortunately, around the time I got pregnant, loads of studies had just been released from the International Orienteering Committee. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, International Olympic Committee. <laughs> and <laughs> and they, they, they gathered together all the different research papers from around the world and they, they looked at all of them and they'd gone, you know, they handed off most, passed off most of them as just being rubbish or not having a large enough um, group of women that they were studying or you know what whatever but um a handful of them they they said actually you know there's there's something here this can be be taken forward a bit and they, mm-hmm. they put all that information together so it was less anecdotal information than what was around on the internet yeah and yeah we could we could take that and we could say actually this is what we should be doing and this is why we should be doing it and and i think one of the biggest things that came out of it was that um doing super intensive training so above 90 percent of your maximum heart rate Mm -hmm. these studies were saying actually it's it could be detrimental to the fetus to be doing that intensive training and we Mm -hmm. said so Hanjog and I we said okay then I don't need to do that training I can just train up to 90 percent and that's shown to be okay so there was a lot we could take from it and we had to sort of but we were still interpreting it as we went along and (laughs) and trying to figure it out for ourselves and what Mm. worked for me so it was really fascinating, actually. Yeah, I mean, genuinely, like, me and my mum really enjoyed reading whenever you, you know, posted an update about, you know, what what you were doing, how how your body was changing. And I suppose, yeah, it's just getting that experience out to more people who might be in a similar position, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, funny enough, though, the, there was a lot of, you know, you could find a lot of information out on the internet and a lot of it, like I said, it is anecdotal. Mm. Yeah. But there's actually very little about the postpartum period. And I think that was what um, took me by surprise the most, that I wanted to go out for a run. I think it was like seven days after I had the baby, just just 20 minutes just to get out of the house. And I went to put on my, I was like, yes, I can finally wear my, my normal clothes again. I, went to put <laughs> I was like, I literally cannot do up my jacket. Yeah. I couldn't get the trousers on over my hips. And it was like, oh, okay. My body's actually still in that pregnancy state it's you know my hips are still quite wide I'm still carrying like extra fat and and somehow I just thought that I'd have the baby and I'd be back to normal and Mm. I hadn't really appreciated that actually I would still be wearing Hans Jorgen's clothes for a couple of months (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah yeah i suppose yeah you just you're focusing a lot of your energy on um what to do during your pregnancy and everything so what are your plans going forwards into now you know into next season um in general because now you've got you've got all four golds in one world championships what what keeps you motivated then well it can only go down here from here downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> um no i i'm under no illusions that this year is undoubtedly going to be the absolute peak in in mtba for me you know i will never do four golds again i, I don't think there's any chance of that happening but you know the the goal for me now is I want to um so I'm currently on eight world championship gold medals and mm-hmm. that's an Anton uh, the Russian one of the Russian guys is on ten mm-hmm. so he's got ten individual gold medals from the world championship so my my goal is to be able to overtake him and to <laughs> get that number one spot I think that would be quite cool so there's still a there's still a bit more work to do and and next year the world champs are in Czech Republic I failed to win a gold medal a few years ago when it was there I had a crash on on the, on the second day and it, it knocked me out for that race and then I yeah. didn't really race very well in the next one either so yeah the you know Czech Republic's kind of like the, the home of MTBO and I'd, I want to go there and I want to be able to you know show to myself that I can be successful there as well yeah, I was going to say they're a, they're a good nation when it comes to MTBO. They're going to be really fired up for home world championships. Oh, definitely. And um, yeah, Veronica, there, there, she's going to be 23 next year, I think. So yeah, she was really strong this year. She took three silver medals. So, you know, that was incredible racing from her. And Martina was out uh, pregnant this year. So she'll be back hopefully for next year. And yeah, you know, there's going to be a lot of competition from them. But um, yeah, I'm ready. Well, I'm yeah, I'm glad you've got that, you know, that extra aim and that that number that you're thinking of, because I, I think for for some people, it can be quite hard to find motivation when you well, some people would go, that's it, I've done it. And yeah, you've accepted that you may never get four gold medals in one world championships again. But to still find that motivation is really is really good. Did that come easy for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've I really found the passion again for MTBO this year. It's kind of been missing for quite mm-hmm. a few years you know I've I've always known I love MCBO I've known that it's it's what I'm good at it's what I want to do and but being pregnant and missing a year and sitting at home watching all the GPS tracking thinking oh why are you doing that why are you going that way and kind of it really fired me up and it made me think actually do you know what this is what I'm good at mm-hmm. this is what I love doing this is what gives me joy and so to me even though I did really well this year somehow the results are very separate to the performances um for mm-hmm. me I'm, I'm looking at the performances and there they were four mm. incredible races and i wanted yeah. to do that again the feeling of being able to do that day after day and having pretty much perfect races and losing maybe just i don't know 25 seconds in a whole week that mm. was amazing and so i'm looking you know at next year and thinking actually that's something i want to keep on trying to achieve so you are you know, obviously so impassioned with uh, MTBO, absolutely found the love again. Why should other people uh, take up the sport? So MTBO is, let's be honest, quite tricky to get involved with in the UK. Um, unfortunately, there just aren't that many races. But MTBO is really, really great if you want to develop um, your orienteering under pressure you might get hold of a, a city map, for example, and you might do some MTBO as a training session. I think it 
has huge potential to develop um, sort of the, the overspeed training um, for sprint orienteers mm-hmm. because, you know, the, you're coming up to junction so, so much faster. You know, maybe just every five seconds in a sprint race, you'll be taking a, a new junction. And so you have less time to read the map. You have less time to make decisions. And those have to be, you know, you still have to be making the, the correct ones, but you also have to be looking around you and, and paying a lot of attention and, and keeping track of everything. So I think for, you know, people that want to improve at their sprint orienteering, I think MTPO could actually be used as a really, really good training tool. Um, and also as well, we've started to see in recent years quite a few masters moving over to MTPO mm. and coming out to international races. And, you know, a lot of them say, oh, you know, my knees are getting a bit bad now. You know, I, I struggle to run <laughs> through the forest. But in MTBO, they get that feeling of going fast again. And, mm. and they get that feeling of being able to be competitive and in a race and making those decisions under pressure. And suddenly the sport becomes a challenge again. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, yeah, get a map, whether it's a photo map, doesn't obviously doesn't have to be a ma- MTBO map and get out on the bike because, yeah, it's it's a great feeling. It's yeah, I wish I wish I did more, to be honest. Oh, well, thank you so much to um, Emily Benham Crawler for sitting uh, down with me to have a little chat. It was, um, yeah, really, I've been trying to get her on, I confess, most of the year. So really, really excited that um, she could spare the time to have a chat and hope you guys enjoyed it too. So just left to say Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy New Year. Hope you're looking forward yeah, to Merry 2020. Christmas. And I'm sure lots of exciting things to come up. Uh, Will, we've got the World Championships in Denmark, of course. European Championships in Estonia too, as well as, of course, those World yep. Cup rounds. Those of British champs and things already. I'm sure a lot of you've uh, got those in your diaries um, to, to get along to a lot of the domestic competition, which, of course, we will be covering all of that next year on uh, the run-in. Also, I have to say thank you, everybody, so much for listening um, this year. We started out, um, since, you know, first episodes of the podcast, first half year of doing the podcast. Um, it's really been really great to hear all of your feedback and hear that everybody has been enjoying listening to us. It's been great to have the interviewees we have had on and, and we'll hopefully expand that and have a few more people on in the uh, the next months to come. And uh, no, thanks, Catherine, for putting up with me as well. So uh, it's, it's been a, it's been very enjoyable six months and to the next however many podcasts we do yeah well we will be back in the new year with more interviews more coverage of the orienteering scene but until then merry christmas and have a happy new year <laughs> <laughs>